We are very grateful, like I said, to be here and thankful for your prayers for us. Thank you for having us back again, and thank you for every prayer that you've lifted up for us or for any other person who's not where they want to be sometimes. (laughs) We love Hungary very, very much, but it's pretty hard not to see our family and friends and, and be with churches like this. I really appreciate the organ fix. I don't get organ over there very much. So that's wonderful. The scripture is printed in the top of your bulletin today. It's a single verse. The story comes from Solomon. When uh, Solomon had finally built the the temple that his father had desired to build, but God did not let him. He said, God said that Solomon would be a man of peace, a king of peace, and so he would get the pleasure, the joy of building the temple. So he built it. And they had a party. The party was supposed to last for a week, but they decided to go on for another week. They were having a very good time celebrating this temple, celebrating God, and celebrating what God has done in their lives. So Solomon prayed that God would see this temple, would reside in this temple, and be there And God heard his prayer. So the next night, maybe some night soon thereafter, God came to Solomon in a dream. And among the things he said to Solomon was this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm an English teacher now, so I take apart apart sentences. Conditionals generally come in two forms. The first is descriptive. If your feet slip out from under you, you will fall. It happens. Happened to me not too long ago. The other kind is prescriptive. It doesn't describe something, but it prescribes something. If you don't turn your paper in on time, your grade will go lower. If you do a good paper, you'll get a a 5 in Hungary, an A here. This is a prescriptive sentence. We need to think now about the if part, our part. So who are my people? Who are God's people who are called by his name? We're talking about the real ones, those who have a relationship with him, whom God knows. Includes all believers, not just clergy and not just missionaries, but every single believer, my people, who are called by my name. I'm guessing that the people of Israel in Solomon's day were a lot like the churches of America and of Hungary in this day, where you have a mixture of people who are God's people and people who are maybe trying to act like God's people but aren't really. So there are four things that God asks us to do. The first is to humble ourselves. Hungarians are a very odd mixture of pride and humility. They have been humbled for most of their history. The Turks in the 1200s, 
No, the Tatars in the 1200s, the Turks in the 15 and 1600s, the Austrian Habsburgs in the 17 and 1800s, the Austrians, the Nazis, and the communists in the 1900s. But there is a difference between being humbled and humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves requires an understanding of the worth of the other person. Now, God calls us to humble ourselves before him. It helps me to know what that looks like. I'm a visual person, and so it helps me to know what, what, what does God look like. And there are a few pictures, very few, in the New Testament talk, that talk about what Jesus looks like in real life. Not what we see, but what, what is real. A couple of them come from the, or one of them comes from the transfiguration. The, um, as Matthew writes about it, he says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Luke says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. There's another picture in the first chapter of Revelation of Jesus. His head and his hair were white like wool, and as white as the snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. When Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6, he said, Woe is me! I am ruined! That's what God looks like. By seeing this, we can understand why we need to humble ourselves before God. When we see Jesus as he really is, we will see ourselves as we really are. And knowing this reality, humbling ourselves won't be so hard. The second thing he asks us to do is to pray. Now, prayer is open communication with God. As um, was spoken earlier in the children's sermon, it is not just the Lord's Prayer, it's not just reciting words, which a lot of Hungarians believe, doing Hail Marys and that kind of thing, um, but it is communication with the creator of the universe. In Revelation, it talks about how prayers of the saints go up before God like sweet-smelling incense, which reminds me of chocolate. God likes it, like I like chocolate. He loves it, in fact. God desires for and longs for communication with us. It's a mystery how and why God works through our communication with him. Prayers for us are a lifeline. We cannot do what we're doing without it. It's impossible. We couldn't continue to live in Hungary without it. We couldn't continue to do the things that we do and to have the strength to, that we need to do it. Uh, every week on Wednesdays, we send out by email a um, three prayer requests to our church in Richmond and to a few other people. And it's amazing how many prayers are answered for us on Thursday. We're six hours ahead, so we usually send it in the noon or mid-afternoon, right before we go to bed, and they pray while we sleep, and things happen on Thursdays. It's strange. Guess who's at work? Your prayers also support our prayers I have a student. He's 15. His name is Chris. His hobby is hatred. He hates gypsies, and he hates Jews in particular. Anyone who's different. He likes America because America goes out and fights people, 
He wants to be, he wants to come here and he wants Hungary to be allied with Americans so that he can go to war. And he wrote in a paper to me that he wants to be a sniper when he grows up. We were praying for him, my little prayer group that meets on Tuesday mornings. My friend Grace prayed that Chris would have an experience like Paul did, that God would zap him and that he would become a minister of the gospel. My friend Shannon took that a level further. Shannon prayed that he would become a minister to those people that he currently hates, the gypsies and the Jews, like Paul did when he became a minister to Christians. The third thing that God asks us to do is to seek his face. Now, seek his face is not a normal thing. We don't use this. I don't use this in everyday language. It's not extremely normal for me to say. There are a couple of verses in Psalms, in Psalm 27, that talk about seeking his face, uh, which added a little bit of light for me. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Now this is FaceTime, not Facebook time. Facebook has come up in tons of conversations since we've been back. It's very interesting. But in Facebook, you see people in two dimensions, if that. In real life, you see them in three dimensions. You see their heart. You see their mind. You see their thoughts, if you can talk to them. This is what we're trying to do as we're here for a few weeks this summer, is to see as many faces and love as many people as we can. This is the difference between a normal boss or lord or a normal everyday God and our boss or lord or God. He wants us to spend time with him, to know him, and to love him. He doesn't say, seek my hand, seek what you want me to do, but he says, seek my face, be with me. The fourth thing he asks us to do is to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from our wicked ways. I read a book recently which said that um, repentance was just feeling sorry for your sins, I don't think so. I think it's so much more than that. It's 180 degrees turning. You're going this way, now you're going that way. It's turning around, choosing to forgive instead of holding on to grudges. I forgive him. I forgive her. I forgive me. It's choosing to stop doing destructive things, walking away from the mirror, or a TV set, or internet. It's choosing to stop saying destructive things. Uh, You know the song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus? Well, he has brought it to my mind, shut up, shut up for Jesus. And I've needed to hear it. Don't talk. Shut up for Jesus. Now, none of these things can be done in our own power. We aren't strong enough. We need God's help. And we need it desperately. In this, do you see God's heart 
It's not that you need to accomplish a checklist of things to make him happy. You don't have to go to Mecca. You don't have to pray five times a day. You don't have to pray any number of times a day. Continually makes him happy. But it's by um, doing these four things or being in the attitude in which these four things are normally just pop out or done that we can see God's intense love for us, that we can receive God's love and that we can allow God's love to overflow in us and through us so that others can see it as well. Uh, good morning again. Thank you. Uh, Lee is a Hopkins. She typed out her sermon, printed it up. Times New, New, Times New Roman, 14-point font, two sheets of paper front and back. You, Hopkins, right? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm a coppage. I have three pages of notes on my Spider-Man notebook. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, so we're missionaries in Hungary, and then we come back to the U.S., and we immediately gain celebrity status. Um, I would like to eliminate that. <laughs> I would like to say that if my high school classmates in 1981, Henrico High School, well, they did not vote me most likely to be a missionary to the deaf and coach, coaching baseball in Hungary in 25 years. Lots of life is a surprise. Um, when I teach English in Hungary, sometimes people say, why are you here? And I tell, her, I tell them the story. And I said, I came here first as a missionary. And they said, well, why do we need missionaries in Hungary? We're a Christian nation. And I'm from the outside, and I say, no, you're not. <laughs> and then we come back to America, and people say, we're a Christian nation. And I see what's going on, and I say, no, you're not. <laughs> um, America is the same. And the, the problems in Hungary are more or less the problems here, but with different twists. Uh, and I thought, well, when we go back to the U.S., what can I tell people? I can bore you, I can bore you, and tell you about all these people that I know in Hungary and what I do on the day and how my week goes and everything. You can, we, we can talk later if you want. But I thought, well, what are the problems in general everywhere? The problems in the churches in Hungary and the problems in the churches in America and in the society in general. I came up with a, a list of four and like David Letterman, I can do, you know, the top four problems in society in the church. Uh, number four is resentment and regret. Okay? Resentment is against somebody else. Regret is about me and what happened to me. And in general, it comes down to unforgiveness. We cannot forgive this person. We cannot forgive ourselves. That's number four. Number three, oh, this is, this is sermon material for the future, okay? If I had time, oh, if I had time, um, Resentment and regret is big in Hungary. Okay, They resent the Russians. They resent the Germans. They resent everything that happened to them. If you ask a Hungarian, name a recent tragedy in Hungarian history, they would say, that's easy. The Battle of Mohac, the annihilation of the Hungarian army, 1526. 1526. That's recent. Okay, And there have been a lot since then. <laughs> Uh, so, number three, 
uh, idolatry, addictions, a double life, being a different person here and there. Basically, it comes down to idolatry, worshiping false gods. Okay, that's your next. Number two. Okay, yeah. That's number three. Number two is the feeling that I must do it by myself or I can, I can do it by myself. And that boils down to pride. Okay, number two, pride. Okay, but these are all sins. And sin lists are fun. And lots of preachers like to give out lists of sins and why you're bad and why I'm bad and our big problem. But I thought these are just the symptoms of the disease. This is what comes out. And I thought the number one problem... The number one problem in the churches today, and probably the number one problem with everybody today, is that we, we really do not understand or believe or know how much God loves us. We really don't understand it. We really don't get it. Um, we're missionaries. We, we, we want to bring renewal or revival to the people of Hungary. We come back to America. We'd like to see it here, too, because it helps us. <laughs> uh, but renewal and revival always starts in the churches. It, it always starts, God says, with my people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and, and let, seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then, then things will start happening. Um, so what do we need to do? And don't think that, that we as missionaries in Hungary don't suffer from the same anxieties and, and botherations that you do, because we do. And we do it in a, in a foreign culture where we, we can't speak the language and we can't just go talk to anybody. We don't have dozens of friends that we can call, except on the Internet with Skype in America, but then either they're not awake yet or they're at work. <laughs> so, but if we, if we, God's people, acknowledge that for better or for worse, we are called by his name and we, and we carry his name, and if we humble ourselves and if we pray... And if we seek his face and we turn from our evil ways, then he does hear. He does forgive and he does heal. And God promises this. Um, most of us suffer from an inadequate God. And a, a lot of people march into the pastor's office or march into the chaplain's office in college or whatever and they say, I don't believe in God. And the smart pastor or smart chaplain will say, tell me about this God you don't believe in. And they say, well, he does this, you know, he kills babies and does this and does that. And usually the smart pastor will say, well, I don't believe in that God either. You are correct. Um, so where do we find the true God, the right God? Well, we read the Bible. Is that, that's the stock answer, right? We, where, is the, where is the true God? We say, well, read the Bible and you'll find out. The problem is a lot of people start at Genesis and they go to Exodus and what do they find? They find uh, God seems kind of arbitrary. He desires circumcision. Hmm. Uh, okay, genocide. This is not the kind of God. He doesn't meet a minimum standard that we have. So where do you get a good picture of God? Well, you really, unfortunately, for many modern people, reading the Bible doesn't do the trick. What they need to do is see a skin face. They need to see a real face of a real human being who is called by God's name, who does God's will, and whose life has changed. And this is the main thing that we've been doing in Hungary for the last five or six years is uh, I, I've not told many people about Jesus at all. 
I've just stayed there for six years. And this, this, this puzzles a lot of Hungarians. They say, why did you come here? And I tell them why we came here. And they say, how has it been? I say, it's been okay, not wonderful. They say, what are the problems? Oh, here are the problems. You know, near the top of the list is a 53% tax burden. <laughs> I bring in 100, I keep 47. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they, and they say, why do you stay? Okay, this is the marvel to them. And, and, I, and I, I say, I stay here because I believe that God has called me here. If it were up to me, if I wanted to do the easy thing, I would just go home. If I go to America, there are lots of baseball people. I can talk baseball all the time. There are, I know the sign language there. And better yet, I know the spoken language there. I'm, in America, I'm a 45-year-old, highly educated, articulate person. I can make you laugh if I want to, usually. Um, you know, I can understand what you're telling me. I can become your friend in a, in a day. That's American culture. In Hungary, no. Uh, in Hungary, it takes a long time to become a friend with somebody. They don't, they don't use the word friend like we do. When we say friend, often we just mean acquaintance, who is not my enemy. <laughs> but for Hungarians, they have four or five friends. Most of them they make in first or second or third grade. And they keep the small circle of friends all their lives. Uh, so, anyway, this other culture is different. But we, we, so far, we've stayed there for six of the last seven years. And that's our main message so far. And eh, some Hungarians think it's miraculous that we have stayed there for <laughs> six of the last seven years. What Hungarians really don't understand is love. Uh, they don't understand hope. They don't trust God. They don't trust anybody. I don't even think they trust themselves. But if we acknowledge that we are God's people and we humble ourselves and pray, and you say, well, what, what do I say to God? Some people say, okay, pray, what do I say? And sometimes I've gone to God and I say, okay, it's prayer time. What do I say? And sometimes God says, you don't have to say anything. You sit there and listen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and seek his face. You know, sometimes, sometimes God doesn't want you to do anything. Is this, is, this a, is this a revelation to some of you? God doesn't want you to do anything. He just wants you to be there. This, this bothered me. I was wondering, what am I doing in Hungary? And, and sometimes people say, you don't, you're just there first. You, something will come up afterwards. Um, so, but I think what we really don't under, understand, I'll repeat it from the beginning, what we really don't understand is how much God loves us and how he loves us. Um, and if you understand how God loves us and how much, then if you read Genesis and Exodus, the story changes. And it's a strange thing. I'll leave it to you to, to discover this, how it works. If you, if you read Genesis and Exodus with a modern mind, like it's a history book, you're going to be very troubled by the God that you find. But if you start reading Genesis and Exodus thinking about God as not some old man in a white robe with a long beard. You know that image? God is, God is as young as he was when he made the world. Think about that. God is eternally young. That, that's a different thing. Uh, 
And then the story changes. But one of the disciples at the Last Supper said, show us, show us the Father. They said, we believe you're the Christ. We know you're the one. Show us the Father. And what was Jesus' response? He said, you've been with me three years, you still don't get it. <laughs> That's the paraphrase version. That's more or less what he said. He said, he said, gosh, you guys have been with me three years and you still don't get it. And in essence, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen God in essence. If you've seen me at work, that's what God looks like. And they hadn't even seen the crucifixion and the resurrection yet. Um, John was there. And in his first letter, 1 John chapter 4, 15 through 21, John says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, in this world we are like Jesus. Ooh, can you say that? In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love one another. But I want to repeat verse 19. We love because he first loved us. A lot of us don't know how to love because no one's ever really shown us before. Not really. But Lee said we can't earn God's love, and that's true. But I maintain that the works that we do that will give God a good name, we pray, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? That means, God, may your name be held in reverence and respect by those around us. But if we're going to live that way, it will come from the overflow of the love that we know God has for us. When we base our life on the fact that God loves us far more than we can know or understand, then we will find out that many of our problems with God will fall away and our lives will change for the better. Maybe not for the pleasant. That must be clear about that. (laughs) Maybe our lives will not become more pleasant, but they will become better. And we will find ourselves being with God on his mission. And you don't have to go outside of your home neighborhood to do God's will. For some of us, it's necessary. (laughs) But it's not necessary for everyone. So, if we, God's people, who are called by his name, will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, turn from our evil ways, then things will start happening.